Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4 as we are uh, nearing the end of our series in uh, Peter's first uh, letter, first epistle. Um, I had hoped that uh, Easter would make a nice break. We could finish before Easter and then start something new uh, after Easter. I'm not sure if I can actually make that happen or not, but um, we shall see. First uh, Peter chapter four, uh, we'll read this morning verses 12 through 19. Um, as you are aware by now, uh, we stand when we read God's word. So if you're able, uh, would you please stand together? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let us let those who suffer according to God's will. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, O Holy Spirit, we pray for your help. Would you teach us? Would you grow us? Would you use these, your words, to conform us more and more into the image of Christ? We pray all of this in his name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we've got this um, we've got this notion, we've got this idea um, as Christians in the United States that um, that we we shouldn't we shouldn't suffer. We, we shouldn't have to suffer. We shouldn't have to endure any sort of um, persecution in any way, shape or form. Now, look, maybe that's because. You know, just part of our American history and and our thinking that, you know, we're a Christian nation. Uh, maybe it's the years of, of applying the Old Testament promises for Israel directly to the United States, which is a, a wrong use of the Old Testament, I might add. Maybe it's our Western individualism. Maybe it's... Um, just the fact that, that we've got our personal freedoms sort of, um, I don't know, entrenched in us from the Bill of Rights. And, and we tend to equate that with, um, you know, that, that's therefore gospel freedom. And, and because the Bill of Rights grants us these freedoms, then, then we shouldn't have to suffer as Christians I think in a lot of ways that mindset reflects, for one thing, a, a, a probably a poor understanding of church history. It, it, it reflects a, a wrong understanding of God's Word. 
We have this notion that suffering is for people out there. For the, for the bad people. For the people who aren't Christians. You know, for the militant Muslims. We, we, we think suffering is for those people, but that we in the church are supposed to be free from that. We have this notion that, well, because God loves us, He will protect us from anything that sounds remotely painful or difficult or dangerous. But that's a completely foreign concept to all of God's Word. In fact, if the Scottish Covenanters could listen to 21st century American Christians talk about suffering and ridicule and you know, being, being pushed to the periphery of society or um, losing friends on account of Christ, they would be appalled. See, on, January 1st, no, on June 1st, 1661, James Guthrie and William Govan were put, together, put to death uh, together. Uh, for their hope in a salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. James Guthrie's body is still hanging there as Govan climbs the steps to the gallows. And he looks at the crowd and he says this, Dear friends, pledge this cup of suffering as I have done before you sin. For sin and suffering have been presented to me and I have chosen the suffering part. Does holiness matter more to us than acceptance? Does the truth of God's word matter more to us than living the American dream? Does, does the honor of Christ matter more to us than being liked by our neighbors? That's the situation that Peter's writing to in these verses. And he, he begins with a reminder that suffering and persecution are a real, reality for the believer. We shouldn't be surprised, verse 12, with fiery trials as though something strange were happening to you. He's warning them of, of suffering that's coming their way. And he uses, now I think if you're using the NIV, I think instead of fiery trial, I think it says painful trial or painful, um, painful test, or I forget what the word is there. But the, he's actually using a word that reflects burning gold to burn off the it, It's literally a fire. Now, he doesn't necessarily mean, he's, he's not predicting that some of these Christians are going to get burned by Nero in the coming years. It doesn't have to be that literal. It is a, a painful and difficult trial that they're going to face. But he uses a word that reflects fiery. Remember, Peter's writing to these churches in, in what is today Turkey. It's predominantly Gentiles, not exclusively Gentiles. There's, some Jews there, the Jewish people, they understood persecution. It was part of their, part of their history. It was sort of woven into the fabric of who they were. The, the idea of persecution to them was, was not something new. But to these Roman citizen Gentiles who had been 
part of the majority culture their whole life now embracing Christ means rejecting all these Greek and Roman gods. It means not worshiping the emperor as a god. It means standing out from your neighbors. It means not looking like the people you used to look exactly like. It means, it means being different, looking different, appearing different. And so for them, this persecution would be new. But not a shock. It might be something new for them to face, but it's not something they should be surprised at. They shouldn't be shocked that this suffering comes in this life. And we've seen this already. I mean, let's let's admit it, right? Please, please tell me I'm not the only one. Peter writes way too much about suffering for my liking. I'm I'm kind of done with the suffering. Like, maybe we should have just stopped two chapters in and called it good. And so this is not a new concept. This is, this is I don't know how many times now, that, that Peter has come back to this subject of suffering and persecution that we will face. In fact, just in the last passage or two, he talked about how they were no longer living the lifestyle that, that their non-Christian friends around them were still continuing to live. And that's going to get you talked about. That's going to get you looked at funny. If you stop doing some of the things you used to do because that's just not who you are anymore, it's going to get you looked at funny. People are going to talk about you. They're going to, they're going to be at the water cooler at work and you're going to walk up and the conversation is going to die. And you're going to feel awkward. But those things shouldn't surprise us. You've heard the phrase, I'm sure. Um, you know, it's usually used as a warning. Uh, we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Um, you know, the last thing this world needs is more earthly mindedness. Uh, this world could use a lot more heavenly mindedness. Um, that, that would actually would do the earth much more good than our earthly mindedness of, say, the last 50 years uh, when you know, the church gradually started granting things to the culture. Well, we want to make, make, make non-Christians feel comfortable and, and not, not feel too different and, and stand out. And the church has lost her influence in those years. Even Jesus warned us that there would be persecution. Even Jesus said, look, if the world hates me, why wouldn't it hate you? If you identify with me, and perhaps greater, if I identify with you, and they hated me, why wouldn't they hate you? And Peter picks up on this in verse 14. If you're insulted, if you're, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, that's what Jesus, he's heard Jesus say this back in John 15. He warned the disciples there that if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him glory in the fact that he's suffering on account of Christ. Jesus promises that, look, I'm in you and, and you're in me and we're united together by faith and we're one and the, 
the world has hated me, and so the world's going to hate you. If the world hates the greater, the world's going to hate the lesser. And so, therefore, you should assume that they will do all of these things. They will persecute you. And Jesus literally says, on account of my name in John fifteen twenty one. Again, in verse 16, Peter calls our attention to that name. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Now, that name there could be Jesus, just kind of like in verse 14, or it could be that that could be referring to Christian. That, that's a distinction without a difference, right? You do realize that the term Christian was not initially thought of by Christians. Christians didn't call themselves. It was a it was a term of derision. It was a term of persecution. It was a term of making fun at those little Christ ones in Antioch. And so we rejoice that we are united to Christ, that he identifies with us. We identify with him as Christians. We now bear the name of Christ. And so we should expect sooner or later that we will suffer for it. You know, as long as the Christian faith isn't permeating culture, society, um, to the extent that it has throughout the years, sooner or later, even in Athens, where it is still um, fashionable, even beneficial to claim the name of Christ, sooner or later there will be suffering. There will be persecution. But notice Peter makes an important distinction for us in verse 15. It's one thing that we suffer on account of Christ. It's one thing that we suffer because we identify with Christ and he with us. It's completely something else if we suffer because, you know, we deserve it. That's what he says in verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer. See, you and I know instinctively murderers deserve punishment. Or as a thief. And you and I know instinctively thieves deserve punishment. Or as an evildoer. And you and I go, okay, that's a fairly um, generic term, but it sure sounds bad. So they deserve punishment. And you and I know instinctively that meddlers, wait, what? Did you hear? Peter just... Equated, He just put on the same line in the exact same sentence. People who stick their nose in other people's business. In the same sentence, in the same phrase with murderers. In other words. It's one thing to suffer because you identify with Jesus. It's another thing to suffer because you're just a punk. Because you're just annoying. Because you stick your nose. And you know what? You do that long enough. You stick your nose in other people's business long enough. You do that enough times. And people aren't going to want to talk to you. People aren't going to want you around. But that won't be suffering for Jesus. That will be suffering for being a jerk. That's not the same thing. You know, there have even been 
people along the way over the last year or so who have tried to argue that the state is persecuting the church by asking us to wear masks. If the state's asking every gathering to do the exact same thing, they're not persecuting the church. They're not treating us differently. The state isn't meddling into the worship and work of the church, which, by the way, they're not supposed to do. Our own Westminster Confession of Faith recognizes two very distinct kingdoms, the state and the church. And, and when the state steps in to tell the church how to be the church, that's where we say stop. But if they say we need you to wear masks because we're asking every other organization, every other gathering in the whole country to also wear masks, that is not persecution for Christ. That's merely loving your neighbor. And so Peter warns there is a difference between suffering on account of Christ and suffering because, quite honestly, murdering, thieving, evildoing, meddling, those things are unbecoming of believers. Peter warns that we understand that there are things in life, sin and otherwise, that will bring us trouble and rightly so. But, if on the other hand, we suffer because we bear the name of Christ, because we are Christians, then we rejoice that we are united to Christ and He is united to us. There's a, an observation I want to make, though, from verses 17 to 18. I mean, 17 and 19. Um, Peter refers to Malachi, which we just read a few minutes ago, and he refers to Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, um, there's this picture of uh, the Spirit of God leaving the temple. Uh, it's just... As Babylon is defeating um, Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, destroying uh, the, the temple, um, plundering the temple, destroying Jerusalem, taking uh, the Jews into exile into Babylon. Ezekiel and Daniel are the two prophets that write during that exile. Malachi is, is on um, the, the, the back end and yet still a warning of um, purification that comes to the Levites. Did you notice that it was the tribe of Levi that was the focus in Malachi 3? Again, this is the tribe whose job it is, whose function it is to operate within the temple, the place of God's special presence with His people. And, and both of those passage, passages, Peter picks up on here, to remind us that we inside the church aren't immune to suffering and to persecution, but it serves a different purpose. Ezekiel, Malachi, Peter, they're all telling us that yes, there is judgment even inside the church, but it's not consuming judgment. It's not destructive judgment. It's not punitive judgment. It's refining judgment. How do you make gold more goldly? You put it in the fire. Well, how do you make the godly more godly? 
put it through the fire. They endure fiery trials to steal from Peter's own words in verse 12. In other words, God is committed to our holiness. He's committed to seeing us renewed in the whole man after the image of Christ. And so we endure trials in this life for the express purpose of confirming our faith to us. Reminding us that great is thy faithfulness, as we sang just a few minutes ago. We endure persecution to make us more like Christ. Of course, the reality is you and I don't really know real persecution. We think that losing a friend is, is suffering enough. We think that, that getting passed over for a promotion, we think that getting left out of the invitations for the party, we think that you know, anything like that, these social implications, we, we call that suffering. We call that persecution. Check out Voice of the Martyrs. Persecuted.org or persecution.org. I forget which it is. It's one of those two. There are people around the globe who will get arrested and beaten and imprisoned and even put to death only because they've bowed their knee in humble submission to Christ. They hate and forsake the old man. They, they've forsaken the gods of their parents, their culture, their their world, and so they are arrested and beaten and thrown in jail and beaten again and put to death. We don't know real persecution in this life. And so far, that hasn't happened here. Who knows? We kick and scream now, but Peter says we shouldn't be surprised. What if that day comes? What if the day comes when we too are arrested and beaten and imprisoned and perhaps even put to death? Maybe this passage helps us think through a, a better balance between our individual freedoms afforded to us by the U.S. Congregation, Constitution and the true biblical Christianity. But there's a there's a question that as as in, in reading this passage, in thinking through this passage, there's a there's a question that I felt pressing on me and perhaps on you even more strongly. What if I've already failed? What if and, and if if I can steal from William Govan's words earlier? What if um, I've already renounced his words, right? He said, pledge now to suffer before you, before you have opportunity to sin. Pledge now to suffer lest you sin, right? That was, those were his words. What if, what if I've already avoided that suffering? What if I've already, uh, to steal Jesus' words, hidden the lamp under a bushel? What if I've already decided 
What if I've already sinned and, and, and avoided the suffering for knowing Christ? Because that seems like a question we all might have. Do I need to remind you who's writing this letter? It's Peter. Remember Peter? Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to have to die on a cross. And do you remember Peter did? Peter grabbed Jesus by the arm and pulled him aside and goes, um, <clears throat> no. And Jesus responded with, get behind me, Satan. This is Peter who, when Jesus was arrested, was there in the courtyard watching sort of the proceedings and three times was told, hey, you're one of those guys. And he was like, no, I'm not. You've got me confused with somebody else. Peter's the one who we learn in Galatians 2. While in Antioch, Paul had to publicly rebuke him. Why? Well, because Peter understood that the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. They, they no longer implied. Remember the vision in Acts 10. These, the, all these unclean animals. And God said, you can eat these animals. Don't call clean what I, unclean what I've called clean. Which means now that in Christ, these converted Jews get to have, you know, a delicious BLT sandwich. Pulled pork. Shrimp, all of God's great gifts to this earth. Peter was eating with Gentiles. He, he, went, he went back for seconds at the barbecue buffet. He added extra bacon to his potato because he could. Until people came from Jerusalem, from James, we're told in Galatians 2. And Peter immediately went to the Jewish only table, left off the barbecue, left off the bacon, left off the sauteed shrimp. And Paul had to publicly rebuke him for denying salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Peter had gone back to a salvation of works. In other words, what if I've failed? What if I've already sinned instead of suffered? You're in company with the man writing this letter. The man whom Jesus restored fully and completely. That same restoration is there for us. That same Forgiveness and, and freedom is there for us. Peter knows not just suffering on account of Christ. He knows avoiding that suffering uh, because he's ashamed of Christ. He knows that temptation for us. He too knows that we must pledge to suffer before the opportunity for sin arises. He knew failure, but he knew restoration. And in that sense, he reminds us that that restoration is there for us also. Repent, believe the gospel, 
hate and forsake the sin of even shame of Christ and pray for the grace to endure when the time comes again. Suffering in this life is a very real possibility for us as believers. May God grant us the grace to pledge to suffer before we have opportunity to sin. And may he also restore us to fellowship with him by his grace that we might more and more reflect his image in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have, we must admit, been ashamed of bearing the name of Christ at times in our lives. Perhaps even in the last week. Would you grant us forgiveness? Would you grant us the same restoration that Peter knew? Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Father, we pray that you, by your grace we might pledge now to suffer before sin arises. And we pray by your grace that if and when we fail, we would run to the cross and there find forgiveness for denying Christ, find forgiveness for every sin which we, of which we are guilty. And we pray that you would use us in Athens and Alabama and around the globe to the honor and glory of Christ. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.